Hello, and welcome to No Whiskey for Baby, where we pour a drink and figure out how to be parents. I'm Josh. I'm Cassie. And tonight, we are drinking hot toddies. At my request. I actually don't know what kind of alcohol. I mean, I know it's whiskey, but um, I don't know what whiskey you chose for this. The whiskey in our hot toddies tonight is uh, Old Granddad 114. Oh, so you Uh, like went hard. Well, it's our, uh, and this is a phrase you love, it's our (laughs) table bourbon. Yes, the table bourbon, like the table wine. Yeah. (laughs) It's our mixing bourbon, our table bourbon. Yeah, stop, it's okay. So mixing bourbon is a fine thing to call it. Table bourbon implies that we just have bourbon on the table for just pouring while we eat whatever or just are hanging out like a person might have table wine. Which also... I meant what I said. We But we don't. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. You know, we have a lot of alcohol in our house. We don't drink often. Like... Well, you say we... Do, we uh, I would say that we have a drink often. Yeah. We do not, like, drink to get drunk very often at all. Yeah, no. Very, very, very rarely. In fact, almost... Never do we, like, get schwasty on purpose. Yeah, not not at home, usually. I mean, where else is there at this These point? These days, uh, not many places. Yeah. Although they're... you wouldn't know it looking at some people's Instagrams. Uh... Anyway. Uh... <laughs> yes, the hot toddies we're drinking tonight. Uh, old, old Granddad 114, um, which is 114 proof, so it uh, packs a punch. Mm. Uh, it is good, though. Good. Bourbon, lemon, honey, hot water. I actually played a little jazz, uh, churched it up, if you will, and added a little bit of velvet falernum, which is a very popular uh, ingredient in tiki cocktails. Yeah, that was one of the things that showed up at our house when we got wine the other day that Josh was like, oh, we also got this other bottle for the bar. (laughs) Like, oh, we needed one. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's a liqueur. It's not particularly expensive. You use it in very small amounts. and So we'll you... have this bottle for the rest of our lives is what you're telling me. Right. Well, well unless we go through like a, a huge tiki phase. And what, have a tiki drink every night? Yeah. I mean, doesn't sound like the worst life, honestly. If we ever move to a place that we, we can sit outside and drink, maybe I will have a tiki drink every night. Yeah, a little backyard with a tiki bar situation. Come mm-hmm. on. Come on. Sounds nice. Maybe some Adirondack chairs. You have become... Adirondack. I just want you to know that the things that you aspire to at this point are, like, so aesthetically borrowed from my childhood. Like, you want Adirondack chairs. I don't actually want you Adirondack want... chairs. <laughs> You want a front porch. You want like the you want the you want the New England bougie lifestyle with you and your Sperrys on a boat in Portland, Maine, wearing your LL Bean hunting jacket. What's that thing called? Field coat. Field coat. You bought it for me because you wanted it. Yeah, well, you know. Um, but yes, drinking hot toddies tonight. Uh, it's been particularly chilly, so it was a nice. A nice idea. A nice comforting idea on your part. I mostly, I was kind of craving some tea and I said, I want tea, but hard. (laughs) 
Nicole since you spit out your tea. (laughs) You heard it here, folks. Tea, Tea, but hard. hard. It's like twisted tea, but like actually a good drink. Whoa, you can't just say that anymore. Why? Twisted tea is a weapon now. (laughs) I actually like twisted tea. Moving on from hard teas. Wow. Okay. It's a hard tea. Easy. Easy on the listener's ears. (laughs) Moving on from assaulting your ears to talking about our child. This week in Finn. This week in Finn? He's six months old. Six months. We made it. Six months. Yeah. Half a year. Yeah. He, uh, just in the past couple days, seems like he has gotten huge. Yeah. He's gotten really, really big. Um, he is, uh, we didn't weigh him recently, but I think he's, he's more than 16 pounds now. I think he was closer to 17 the last time we actually weighed him. Yeah. And that was before this most recent growth spurt. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, when he takes good naps, he is excellent. Yes. Like he is great when he, when he can take good naps, um, during the day, he not only is better in between the naps, like he's also asleep for a good portion of the day. So it means that like, not a good portion, but it means like I can get some work done because I still am working from home. But he also is so much happier and he's like much easier to like amuse if he's had good naps. And then there are days where he just does not want to nap. And man, oh man, those days are tough. Today was one of those days. Yeah, he just has a harder time being, he has a harder time being awake and asleep. It's like when, when he has a harder time being asleep, obviously he has a harder time being awake. Yeah. That just make, makes it much harder. And so like today at like 5.30, I was like, we could put him to bed right now. He is so tired. But I wasn't. Rubbing his eyes and Yeah, yawning was exhausted. But I wasn't going to put crying. him to sleep at 5.30 when we start bedtime routine at 7.30. So we just kind of, we put it off. We did bedtime a little earlier. But the other thing that we've been doing is we're starting weaning. Yeah. Giving him food. Yeah. Letting him eat real food that we have, you know, This is his first foray into him eating food that isn't made from me. I, you know, I was not married to him being breastfed exclusively. I wanted that, but it wasn't, um, you know, if it didn't happen, it wasn't going to be the worst thing ever. Like, I, I wanted to breastfeed him, but it wasn't the most important thing. And if it only lasted however many months it was going to last, that would be fine. Um, but we went six whole months with, yeah. uh, with him exclusively breastfeeding. He had he had never eaten anything other than my breast milk. And only just a few times did he eat pumped breast milk. He really mostly just ate from me. Yeah. Congrats to the two of you. Thank you. For doing it. Six I'm exhausted. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, along with all of the things, you know, that go along with actively taking care of a baby, you're also creating food yeah. and then feeding it to him. And that's, you know, the amount of work that your body has to do just to do that on top of then being awake and actually like carrying him around and playing with him and doing other stuff working and, and all the other things like yeah but he's doing he he loves food 
really he likes does. food. He um, likes flavors. Loves flavors. You know, like I, I know that a lot of parents will start their kids with just like, you know, I mean, we did allergens first, so we're doing the last allergen tomorrow morning because, frankly, we don't normally eat we don't eat a lot of fish in our. No, it's not in the normal rotation of things. We we will cook fish or make fish here and there and yeah, when we, were, when we the... were going out into the world we would eat fish more often like getting fish at a restaurant or something like that yeah or getting you know and actually and for something. a little bit we were we were getting fish when we were going to trader joe's that was in our regular grocery run now we don't go to trader joe's now we don't go anywhere <laughs> so it's right. like um I, it fell out of our rotation for a while so Tomorrow morning, we're doing the last allergen on the list, which is fish. We've done everything else, and he's had no reactions, which is great. And so we started on his sixth month, on the day he turned six months, we started subbing, you know, like feeding him a meal a day, you know. Um, I'm, I'm waiting to start doing three meals a day till we talk to the pediatrician just to make sure that he's all good and that, you know, we shouldn't do anything differently from that. But yeah, yesterday we did, we blended up our own dinner and fed that to him. And like, we didn't make any changes. We just blended it up and gave it to him. And he loved it. He did. He wore he, it. He wore it. Uh, a lot on the face and the clothes. We didn't take his clothes off that time, which was a mistake. Well. I mean, he didn't get that much on his clothes in like, in the grand scheme of things, whatever. His yeah. clothes are going to get dirty anyway. Yeah. But he loves tomato sauce. He seems to be very happy with savory things. Yeah. Today, the the food that we gave him for lunch was um, apples and yogurt and almond butter mixed together because I thought that that might taste yummy. And he liked it, but he wasn't like as jazzed about it as he was the tomato, the the pasta that we had last night. Yeah. Child after my own heart. So. <laughs> Like, ugh, this is health food, mom. I know this isn't what this is does not have nearly the amount of sodium in it that I want. Mom. Plain yogurt? Come on, you didn't even put anything in here? I I put apple and you almond did. butter. I know. Because I put just the apple in and he like ate it and then like looked at me like with his like eyebrows together, like lady. <laughs> it's funny when he when he's been eating something that he really likes, you can see the change on his face when he puts it in his mouth and tastes it. He doesn't get like wide eyed, but his eyes get very, he gets like a little serious and his eyes get very focused. Yeah. He's like, oh, I want to eat more of this and I need to find out how to get it from mom or from dad. Yeah. What we're doing mostly is we load up a spoon and put it in his hand just to kind of lower the, like, if we load up a spoon and just put it on his high chair. Like, which is technically what you're supposed to do with baby lead weeding, and he should reach for the spoon and put it in his mouth. But, like, most of the time when we do that, and maybe, like, we just need to get, I need to get over it. But most of the time when we do that, he, like, will grab onto the part that has the food on it and then try to eat it, like, just shove that in, like, shove his whole hand into his mouth. And, like, that doesn't work. And so, like, I I feel like putting it in his hand, like, I'm not guiding it towards his mouth. I'm just putting it in his hand. He puts it in his mouth. And and when he doesn't want to put it in his mouth, he doesn't. No. And then, then he's done. He's done. He, he either smears it onto the high chair or onto his cheek or something. Or flings it onto the ground and the dog yeah. eats it. Oh, the dog is going to love 
she already has been future. cleaning up the mess so it's yeah. like you know more in the future love it's okay yeah but yeah i mean he's great though he's so cute he's so sweet he gave josh okay so i um he gives me kisses which what? i should i should what clarify we're, what we're calling him giving kisses well it's him giving kisses it's a it's affection <laughs> it is definitely affection it's like a it's like a puppy but like yeah. I, I also think that it's he's trying to kiss us the way that we kiss him you know like i kisses like he it's it's in reaction to me kissing his face like i'll kiss his face that's true and then he'll he'll put his open mouth on my face and suck my face it's great yeah and it's it's not like the most pleasant experience but it's so sweet it's so very cute um, and for a long time, for like a couple weeks in there, he was not doing that to Josh. He was just doing it to me. And like just yesterday, he started doing it to Josh. And it was so <laughs> sweet. It was. It was very nice. I don't know what changed. Because uh, he was he was very, like he would do it to you almost every time you were holding him. Yeah. Especially if we're just like laying on the couch, relaxing with him and I would try and get him to do it to me, and he would not. He would actively, like, He would, like, pull his head away. He'd be like, no, no, no. Move his head to either side or uh, get upset with me. Yeah. But then, uh, yeah, he started doing it. He did it a bunch today. Yeah. You're welcome. (laughs) I'm glad you're part of the club. Yeah. And it's also disgusting, so good luck. The wet, drooly face club. Yeah. But it's also, I I don't dislike it, because it's very sweet. Yeah. Baby kisses. Baby kisses. Finn is six whole months, eating food, giving kisses. But today we are here to talk about something less fun. Yeah. Uh, our main topic of conversation for this episode is recovery. Yeah, um, childbirth recovery. And um, specifically what the first like month after giving birth was like for us yes yeah so we can pick up from where we left off on the last episode right which is baby came out of my body and they sewed me up and baby was born yes uh baby was born they took you into they took you and the baby into a separate room to clean you up they did yeah oh yeah 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 yeah. yeah. so we were in the operating room But, but you came into that room well, yes. Yeah. So the, the, there, there was a step between this. So you went off to get cleaned up, and and they they took you and the baby off. I went to go reserve a private room for us, like we were mentioning in the last episode, um, because of COVID. If we shared a room, I wouldn't have been able to stay. So mm-hmm. we, I went to reserve a private room, and then came back to the, uh, the like the the post operating room room. Yeah, I, I don't remember what it was called, but. Um, and the room with the hard drugs. Yes. Yeah. So they had cleaned you up and then brought you into this other room, you know, to, to brought you in on a bed. They, Um, just so you know, there was no room in between the OR and that room where you met us. Just so you, that there was nothing in between. They might've like cleaned me in the OR a little bit and then brought me in there. Maybe that's what it was. But. Because by the time I got back to that room, I think you, you hadn't even been brought back in yet. Okay. So I got back. You and the baby were brought in. Yeah, we didn't go anywhere in between. Right. So we're in this other this other room. I think we were the only ones there. That can't be true. There were other people in there. 
I don't remember there? any other people. I remember nurses and doctors, but I don't know. I I am not a reliable source as to the the, <laughs> the first few hours after giving birth. Right, as as mentioned, hard drugs. Hard drugs. I mean, not the hardest drugs. I think that they they gave me one hit of something harder. I don't even remember what it was, and after that. I think they were just giving me like big ol' ibuprofen. Yeah. I don't think I ever took anything harder than that. So we were in that room for yeah. a while while they uh processed. Processed and they observed they wanted to observe you post operation for a little bit and let some of the um some of the epidural wear off as well. Yeah. Right? Cuz you couldn't move your you still couldn't move your lower body. Right? Yeah. Well, I wasn't allowed to get up for a little bit. Yeah. So we hung out in that room for a bit. I got to hold the baby skin to skin and we hung out and made some phone calls. And then we were released to go to our room in the maternity ward. Yeah. They wheeled me in. And we 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 did a breastfeeding episode of this podcast. So we don't have to talk about like... The fact that I was trying to breastfeed this whole time, <laughs> which was, which went okay. It took a little bit. I didn't and, get it. Right. And there was some, uh, you know, there was a lactation consultant that, ha- that tried to help and some of the nurses that tried to help. Um, and it just, it just took some time, which from what I've, from what I've heard and read is, is the thing like you, you and the baby have to learn how to breastfeed. Yeah. I think it might have um, been different had I ever been around breastfeeding people, like especially like a new baby breastfeeding. I don't think I've ever been around a tiny baby breastfeeding. I've been around like bigger babies breastfeeding plenty of times, but like a a newborn breastfeeding, I don't think I've ever ever witnessed what that's like. Had no concept of what that whole ordeal would be like. Yeah, me, me, no. No. <laughs> me, no. Me, no. But we got to our private room. Yeah. And the first, so we had to stay there for a minimum of three nights. Usually after a C-section, it would have been longer. But with. Uh, we only stayed two nights. Is that right? Yeah. Two nights. I think That's that the, what, yeah. what, it, what it was is that they normally said, it's a minimum of three nights yes, after a C-section, yes. but because of COVID, they let us go early. Yeah. They were trying to, as long as everything was okay with people um, who had had a C-section, they were trying to let people go early. So to, to uh, minimize the time they're in the hospital, it's, you know, easier to get something like that probably in a hospital or it's, it's around more. We were there two nights. And everyone at the hospital was wonderful. If if you, but we'll do a podcast where we talk about if you are a person who is going to give birth, what what are the things I should I, I as a person who have done this once um, can tell you that I wish I had in the hospital. But one of the things I wish I had was a second hospital gown for just hanging out in the hospital. Um, because I had the C-section, I was, I had this, I had this, um, we had bought a delivery gown. Yeah. That was like, it was a nicer gown. It was comfortable. It was like a much nicer material, much softer. And it was like 
Not that it freaking matters at all, but it like was a little bit more flattering than just like a the hospital gown. And the other important thing for me is I am a little person and me wearing the hospital gown, the the one that like the regular hospital gown, it was like it, it fell off of me because it was so big because they don't make more than one size of those. So like it was just like constantly like I just kind of wore it like as a blanket when I was laying down. It wasn't like a an actual useful thing. But my, the labor and delivery gown that I had was filthy. It was so gross. So like, I actually had it on for part of it. Like after a little bit, I was like, I need to take off this scratchy, stupid thing. I hate this. But I also like, they, they, they wanted me to stay in something like a maternity gown. I also didn't know, or like a, like a hospital gown. I, if I had known that I was going to have a C-section, I might have packed a second one thinking that I was going to because like if I if we were if I was going to have a natural um, a vaginal delivery, I we wouldn't have been there for that much longer and I would have been fine, whatever. But as it was, I we were there for long, too long to just wear filthy, uh, like a nasty birthing gown the whole time. Yeah. So another thing is that. They didn't give me, so there was no, I, like, I have always heard about the mesh underwear. It wasn't mesh. That was not, like, I remember, what's her face? The woman who does the stand-up while she's pregnant. What's her name? Allie Wong. Thank you. Yeah, I was like, I know who she is. I, she also, yeah, she's done Always Be My Maybe. She's a very talented woman. But um, she, she talked about the mesh underwear, like the... Like it looked like an Asian pear covering. Yes. And that does not, that is not what they had at Brooklyn Methodist. Do you think that is because you didn't give birth vaginally? No, they just had the same ones. They had, they had the underwear. So no. And, but, and they, they did put me in a freaking diaper. Like they. Right. Cause you were still, even though you did not give birth vaginally. Oh, that, yeah. It's, I didn't is, know anything about this i had right. no idea you were still experiencing like b- bleeding i guess but yeah so something that no one ever told me this is like we, we can should we do like a section of stuff that they should tell you before you have a baby like this is what the recovery process looks like because like no one tells you especially i i had no concept that you bleed for weeks yeah you have like a month long like i had a c-section and so that it actually often lasts less time but it didn't for me you have like a month-long period just like constant you can't use a tampon you can't use a menstrual cup you can't use anything because you can't put anything up there so you have to use a pad and you're just leaking blood like not like not like a regular period, but like you are, it, 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 it's awful. It's constant for a month. Why did no one tell me that that was a possibility? And you had, you had prepared in, you know, with the idea that you were going to have a vaginal birth. Yeah. We did buy like aftercare stuff, like yeah. a pack of, uh, what is, what from, what's the company called? 
Freedom Mom. Freedom Mom. Mm-hmm. So you had we had purchased a, a pack that was like for after aftercare, you know, with all the like cleaning stuff and comfort stuff and and all of that. A peri bottle, and it came with um, pads that became ice packs, which would have been great if like that was at all useful for me. But it came with like twelve pads, and which so I thought is not enough. Six days. At like the long end, right? No. Inaccurate. Inaccurate. That's not that. You know, I and I, I think that people speak in euphemisms when it comes to this. And I just I want to like leave that in the past because people just don't understand. I didn't understand that that was a thing that was going to happen to me. I mean, it's by far maybe it's because it's by far not like the worst part of like the the post-pregnancy stuff but man is it gross and like it did like i remember being like when is this gonna end this is still happening um and it lasted weeks and weeks so i remember that pleasant i I wonder if uh, you know i'm part i'm sure part of the reason that people don't talk about this in greater detail or or more specifically um i'm sure part of it is just people uh feeling like there's a stigma around it and and about talking about that kind of stuff um but i wonder if another part of it is people with a certain amount of distance not actually remembering how bad it is yeah and i'm all I'm i'm already like experiencing that Finn is only six months old and trying to like really remember the first month is kind of tough. Like it's, it's a little bit like I remember, like there are specific things I remember and that's part of why I want to like talk about it now before it's all gone. Yeah. Same. Yeah. So we were in the hospital for a couple days. Yes. In the, in the private room, you were, you had your diaper situation happening because you were uh, bleeding. You also had your uh, bandage and your the, the dressing over your uh you know your wound wound yeah uh, incision incision mm-hmm. thank you that was the word i was looking for and you also were covered in adhesive yes from all of the different monitors and ivs and epidurals one epidural but just so many so much sticky stuff there was so much sticky stuff on my body and I wasn't allowed to take a shower because of the dressing. Um, and all I wanted to do was take a shower and, like, just clean my body. And it just yeah. wasn't allowed. They did say you could take a shower. Once the dressing was off. And I did. Right. The initial dressing. Because they took they did take it off. They changed it while yeah. we were there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so... they, they took off the dressing. And they left... I didn't keep it. It has um it had plastic on it like the the strips. What are those called? Yeah. It's like uh sani strips. Something like that. It's basically like uh stitches but like plastic stitches. Yeah. Um and they though they're supposed to stay on forever. Like they stay on for many weeks. <laughs> and they dissolve on their own, right? They they did there were there were stitches 
that did dissolve. The, the yes. strips, yes, just, yes, yes. the strips were extra. Right. There were stitches and yes. the strips were over that. Yeah. As a protection. Yes. To also, to do just like keep another from, layer to keep it, keep my body from falling apart and yeah. having all my organs fall out. Oh, God. That's what it's there for. Yeah, I guess so. So, yeah, to put it lightly, you were uncomfortable. I was in a lot of pain. Um, Yeah. yeah, Once the epidural fully wore off, it hurt. You know, I will say that it hurt less than I thought it might. I had no concept. I've never had surgery. And so I thought that the pain was going to be sharper. Um, But it was more like... It felt because, and I think that it's because it is a muscular pain. It does like my skin didn't hurt, didn't feel like I had been like stabbed or burnt, but it felt so sore. Like I, th- there is, there's, it's obviously nowhere near. Like it, it's not a, it, it's it's not comparable to like doing Pilates. Like that's not it. It's not, but like imagine that. But way worse. Like you can't move. So like hot yoga or Yeah, yeah, like like hot yoga. It's like a really great hot yoga class. Like when you feel like really sore. Yeah, no. Um, but it is like it feels more like muscle soreness than it does like any other kind of pain I can think of. Well that I mean and that's probably the biggest biggest part that needs to heal, right? The fact that they cut through your muscles, your muscles. Yeah. And because you had gone through many hours of contractions already, mm-hmm. the muscles were not uh, just relaxed. No, they were taut and tight and they had to cut through that. So that was probably where the majority of the healing needed to happen. I mean, of course, like the skin does need to heal. Yes. Yeah. But, but like, who cares? That, that did that did not. Though there were. I just, I. I don't I don't remember that ever hurting like a cut. Like I don't, you know, how like it feels when you get a cut. Never felt like that. Always felt like extreme soreness. Like and I mean, I've I've thrown out my back before and it's more similar to that. The recovery was more similar to like having thrown out my back than it is to anything else. But again, N- not necessarily on the same level, obviously. Um, right. But, but the, like, the honestly, type of pain. When I've thrown out my back, I've not been able to move very easily from like sitting to standing. Like I've had to like stay still with or, or but or else it will hurt. And that's similar to a C-section because like I if I was just sitting, I was fine. If I was just laying down. I was fine. And once I got up, when I was standing, I was fine. But, like, going in between those things was excruciating. It was really, really hard. And thank God, um, like, our baby, like, thank God babies don't weigh that much. Because, like, how could I have gotten up and gotten down while, I and I couldn't get up and down while holding him. No. Like, I could hold him without it being a disaster. Which, thank God. So, um, we were in the hospital, and I hated it. Everyone was really kind, and everyone was wonderful, and I I am so grateful for everyone who was there, and I so desperately wanted to go home. 
Yeah, it was it was pretty rough. I mean, I was afraid to leave the room because I didn't want to catch COVID. Yeah. So we stayed in our room. Not the that whole you time. were super mobile, but we could have probably if if we had wanted to maybe taken a turn about the maternity ward. But yeah, with with COVID and everything, they they probably wouldn't have allowed it even if we had wanted to and we didn't want to. No. But yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know if there's ever a time you'd be comfortable in a hospital, but especially after you had had a surgery, you're trying to figure out how to breastfeed our child. I just didn't, I mean, I get it. I understand why they need to keep you in because like they need to make sure that the baby's good. They need to make sure that you're good. But in my mind at the time, I was just like, I'm obviously fine. The baby's obviously fine. Please let me go home. Like me being here isn't any different than me being in my apartment. If something goes wrong, can I come back? Like, it's not like, it's not like I'm that far, but I would so much rather be sleeping in my bed. Of course. I also would have rather been sleeping in our bed. Um, yeah. Than the like chair, the re- recliner that turned into a bed, but it was like weird plastic leather, but also it had been worn out. <laughs> um, but also I hadn't been cut open. Uh, I'm say, oh, like I feel so, so bad for you. Um, was it uncomfortable? It was terrible. Oh, man. Just bad. <laughs> Just really bad. Honestly, I wish they had cut me open so I would have had a hospital bed instead, you know? Not funny. Okay. <laughs> so those couple days in the hospital were rough, but we got through it. Everyone was really nice. We eventually were able to go home. Yeah. And came home and we had our baby in our apartment yeah what a wonderful thing what a wonderful time to be alive except you were still very much uncomfortable and in pain and like you were saying bleeding this whole time yeah well i mean like the bleeding we just put that aside like i was bleeding it was it just was what it was you know it was they i also when I was nine months pregnant, it being the middle of the summer was the worst news. It Once I was done, once I just had the baby, once the baby was born, it being the middle of the summer was, was fine because I was naked all the time. Like it, I was like wearing a, I was wearing bike shorts and a nursing bra 100% of the time because the, the bike shorts covered my incision and like kind of compressed a little bit and i also wore was i wearing the binder at that point did they have me wearing the binder i think they did i think i was wearing the binder yeah i was wearing the binder they said they were gonna send us home with one and you're like oh i already have one i have i had two at that point right right so yeah they did say it will help it'll help you feel better it'll feel better if you have like pressure on it it'll also help it Heal faster, I think they said. Yeah, and the other thing, which I think might be just, you know, maybe a lie, was that they said that that might help my swelling go down faster in my tummy. Frankly, I don't know how long I was swollen in my belly. Hard to tell. Like I said, I wore bike shorts exclusively for the first, like, two months. So, I I don't know. They fit. And I think, well, I, you know, I went to get my hair done and I wore real shorts when I did that. 
actually we can talk about that in a little bit but um anyway so there was everybody was wonderful at the hospital except there was this she was wonderful she was not a bad person but there was this one time that we had just gotten the baby to sleep i had just fallen asleep josh had just fallen asleep this was uh second night the second night and the first night uh he second night we didn't sleep it wasn't Right. Well, the first the first night he he slept much better, and we were able to get more sleep. Yeah. For whatever reason, um, the second night he was not sleeping. No. Uh, he would eat and he would still be upset, and I was trying to you know I was walking around trying it was to get him to sleep. Because he probably wasn't getting enough food. Right. Right. Still with the, yeah the issues with the breastfeeding and all that, and we had finally after so long gotten him gotten him to sleep. Cassie fell asleep. I was falling asleep. Everything was great. And then uh, one of the folks at the hospital who worked there came in. To change uh, the to trash. To change the trash. And she made the loudest noises that a human being could possibly make. These were the loudest trash bags <laughs> that she was like crumpling and moving and waving through the air and <laughs> like i it, it probably needed to be done but i'm sure it did oh man but like i think that, that was the moment where i was like i need to go home now yeah i don't care at what cost i need to go home um i don't want to hear the loudest trash bags in existence anymore i just, I just wanted to be in my own space so desperately i was yeah. so uncomfortable and I was so overwhelmed um, by everything. Everything was so overwhelming. I mean, I will also say that it it did take me a couple weeks, honestly. Like, I'm I'm not like it's not like something that I'm proud of, but like it took me a couple of weeks to like really bond with Finn, and that sucks. Like that sucks to say, but it was. I think that's the reality for more people, though, than than is talked about. Yeah. Like like I said on the last episode, like when he was born, like I didn't like immediately cry and immediately I didn't cry. I like looked at him and I was worried because he was blue <laughs> and yeah. they put him on my chest and I was like, oh, my God, this is our baby. But like it didn't like really connect in my brain yet. I think that when I get super overwhelmed like that, my logic brain like flips into high gear and I like get really analytical about things and I'm, I get very like get stuff done about things. Like I don't stop to, I worry less about the emotions of things and I worry more about like making sure that everything works and everything is good. I remember being really worried about his chin because it was further back. And I thought that that might make it so that he couldn't breastfeed because yeah. his chin was super recessed. Which uh, was normal, right? They didn't say that that was... I asked the lact- lactation consultant and she said, she's like, well, maybe. But he doesn't seem to be having a problem latching, so I'm not worried about it. And I was like, okay. But yeah, it took it took a little bit. It took a little bit of time to like really get that deep falling in love with the baby which yeah that really sucks 
now that I think about it, but... I mean, like I said, I'm sure it's a more common experience than we realize or that that people talk about, because I, I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Like, when you're that overwhelmed, you're going through this insanely new experience that you've you've never experienced your things are happening to your body that feel wild i'm sure that more people like you were saying they click into a different a different mindset to help them kind of deal with cope to cope with how overwhelming everything is yeah and they're not as in touch with the emotional side of things you know they're you're you're checking boxes you're like okay we need to do this and this and make sure the baby's getting this and this and you know is he getting enough weight is am i producing am i you know what's going is is he pooping enough is he peeing enough are we like and we like we we did a good job like they gave us like charts to fill out right as part of your like uh uh discharge thank you discharge package they give you um a bunch of paperwork obviously like a bunch of paperwork a bunch of paperwork for the baby but then also like a log so you can log how many times he's peeing how many times he's pooping um and how many like compared to what they quote unquote should be doing the baby like how many how many poops and pees the baby should be having in you know on day three four five six um so we we're pretty good about keeping that log going. Well, because partially because I was worried because at first I, he wasn't getting enough milk from me. Um, and I was, my, my boobs were not doing the thing that they should have been doing. Um, not that they should have been doing it just like, it can take a little longer, especially if you, if you're a C-section, if you have a C-section for your milk to come in all the way. Like for like the the colostrum to come in and for you to get your milk actually moving. And I don't know the science behind that. It just is. Yeah. So I was worried. At first we were worried that he was dehydrated. And so we were keeping pretty close tabs on how much he was peeing and how much weight he was gaining. And by the end of the first week, um, he was fine. Yeah. They were good. All was well. Yes. Um, but in that time, you know, and I think we mentioned on the podcast before, like the nightly routine, because you had issues going from laying to sitting to standing and, and whatnot. Yeah, um, we were. The original plan was that Josh would get up half the time at first and I would get up half the time. So like for the first time, Finn would wake up, Josh would get up and try to get him back to sleep and put him down. And then the second time, I would get up and try to get him back to sleep. You'd probably feed him and put him back down. And I think that we just, like, had this very, like, oh, that's just how it will work um, in our heads. But what was really, I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, but he wanted to eat most times he woke up. Yeah, there were very few times that he woke up and didn't want to eat that I can remember. Um, I think it was, like... Maybe, you know, once every three days or something, I could just put him back to sleep without without having to wake you up. But if he woke up in the middle of the night, he pretty much always wanted to eat. Yeah. And the other thing was that when if I'd be like, oh, I think I think it was this only happened once because I couldn't do it. But I got up 
to get the baby and like I got went from the bed to standing and that took like oh my god all my effort and then I went up over and grabbed the baby and like I just didn't even know where to go to feed him because I wasn't supposed to because of the incision I wasn't supposed to feed him um in like the traditional way that you breastfeed which I ended up doing anyway like it ended up being that's just how I did it um they didn't want him his little feeties to kick like, me in the incision. Like your incision. Yeah. But we ended up, and I, I remember that first, when he was crying, and I was just, like, trying to feed him on the bed, and I couldn't, like, figure it out. I, I couldn't, I couldn't get into the bed with the baby in my arms. Yeah. And so I, like, was wandering in the house. I, like, went to the couch and was trying to feed him. And Josh got up and was like, what, what is happening? And I was like, I can't do this. So we instated what we called daddy delivery system, which was I didn't get out of bed. Um, Josh would go. The baby would cry. Josh would get up. I would get up because I can't. I couldn't sleep through the baby crying. Um and I still can't. If he cries, I wake up. Um, of course, that's like, it's a physiological thing that happens in your body. If the if a ch- the child is crying, you can't fall asleep. But Josh would go get the baby. As the Josh was getting the baby, I would set myself up with my nursing pillow, with my boppy. And I would sit up in bed. Josh would bring me the baby. I would feed the baby. When the baby was done eating, I would poke Josh and Josh would get grab take the baby back into bed. Yeah. Into crib. Yeah, we and we mentioned this on the in the breastfeeding episode, but that system worked for us because I am a person who can fall instantly back to sleep. Thank God. Um so uh you know, I was still able to I was able to sleep. I was able to give Cassie the baby, lay down fall asleep while she was feeding him for 20 minutes, half an hour, and then wake up, bring him back to the crib, and then fall back instantly back to sleep again. And I mean, I I don't want to sound like a brat here, but I would have been awake for the entirety of that time anyway. So like you getting up and getting the baby, it's like, are, are we, why, why would it have been that like, would it have been that much worse if you hadn't been able to fall back asleep? No, no. I'm just saying that it's lucky that I could. Yeah, for you, but it doesn't for... actually matter. Right. Because, and I mean, look, I everybody needs to sleep. But like, also, neither one of us were working right then. So the baby cries. We both wake up. If... If you didn't have to leave the bed, like I was just because I didn't have to leave the bed didn't mean that I was sleeping. Right. Right. So. right, right. In, yeah. Instead of splitting the time, we were both waking up and then I was sleeping through the feeding and then waking up again to, to put him back to sleep. And I was just and no matter what, I would have been awake for all of it. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. I just the reason I say that is because there's this weird there's this weird double standard. Not weird. It's based in the fact that women are expected to raise children um but like it's so unfair that it's like well i got some weird pushback when we have told people our baby system 
are like how like a lot of the things about the way we're raising Finn people are like oh Josh does that yes Josh changes diapers yes Josh picks out Finn's outfits in the morning yes Josh wakes up with the baby and like that's fine like that I I, truly most of the childcare still does fall to me but like it shouldn't be out of the ordinary that the the non-birthing partner is as active as you are it shouldn't be special yes i appreciate it but it shouldn't be special right i feel like i still don't do enough like you're like i don't feel like i'm not feeling this like i don't feel like I'm not saying you make me feel guilty about the amount of stuff that I do. I was going to (laughs) say. But I want to do more, right? But Mm -hmm. like with my job right now, I do have to leave. I'm not home all the time. You know, we are exclusively breastfeeding and not really using bottles. So I know I haven't, you know, fed him as much, whatever. But the, the weird praise that I get or have gotten for the amount that I do is like you're saying it's it's the double standard it's it's the assumption that the father of a child the 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 male partner or um, the non-birthing partner the non-birthing partner that's thank you that's a better mm-hmm. way to put it the non-birthing partner is not, just it's just assumed that that person is not going to do as much or there are certain things that that person is not going to do yeah or is not supposed to do. Which is just baloney. And I I hope that that is changing or the views around that are, are changing because it's, you know, we're both parents to this kid. Yeah. I... There are certain things biologically that I could not do to help you. Like I could not carry the child. Yeah. Unfortunately, I could not naturally feed the child. You, not with your body. Yes. But there are plenty of there, everything else I can do. Yeah. So you would think that me doing that for my child wouldn't be like... Out of the ordinary. Out of the ordinary. Like, oh my gosh. Wow. I can't believe... Whew. Even family was like a little weird when I... When we explained the, the, the daddy delivery system to members of the family you're like oh well you can't you can't get up like and this was like a couple you know this this was maybe when finn was two months old and we were still doing that because it made sense for us and it it still worked for us at the time like pre-sleep training so before he was two months that's what we did and people were like well josh josh works sometimes and i'm like yeah And I had major surgery. And also, I'm awake for the whole time anyway. And also, weird that it's not your business. Like, why are you uh, trying to make me feel bad that uh, Josh is, like, being a dad? A part, like, being a part of the kids' nighttime routines. Yeah, and us including this in the podcast is not uh me looking for praise or anything like that no (laughs) Uh, it's also like i also don't want to sound ungrateful 
but it's it's very frustrating because I I guess I'm grateful that you're a good partner, but I also I'm not grateful you got me pregnant. It's not like it's not like we didn't choose this together. I mean, I'm I'm grateful that I have a a, a good partner like in the in the in every way and I'm like not I'm not extra grateful that you're a good dad cuz it should be what it is. Anyway, yeah. that, that's a little bit of a tangent. And, yes. And I just I just wanted to add to that. Everyone's relationships are also very different. But as mm-hmm. long as there's uh, some sort of communication, like if you if you are with someone and you and your partner decide that you want to have children, there should be some sort of communication of how child care is going to work. Because I... some relationships are different. Some some people, I'm sure, would be totally fine with one person doing a whole lot more because that's right. just how the but relationship works. But I also works. think that, that that needs to be way more like it has to be more fluid than that too because like i said we had a plan of course yes things are going to change like you can have a plan up to the day that you go into labor and then everything's going to change so that's another part of the communication it's like this is our plan you can also think that you know exactly how you're going to do anything and then like then the reality of the situation hits and you have like you can't just like be like well that was the plan like can you imagine like i would have been so i would have been out of luck if you had been like no 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 the plan was that you you get up with the baby half the time cassie i would have been like okay i i guess i can figure it out and i would have figured it out but like that that's not good that, I, I don't think that's a good relationship you right there. You also then would have figured out how to kick me out of the house. Because that's True. kind of a ridiculous thing. After someone said, like, uh, what I just said, I still believe. It's like, you know, every relationship is different and people are going to figure out their what works for them. But if someone has had major surgery and they're asking for help and you say no, what are you doing? What are you doing? That, you're not like, yeah, that's a bad person. That's bad. Yeah. You, come on. Not just a bad partner, bad person. Don't yeah. do that. I mean, I I don't know people's lives. I don't know people's choices. But uh, ba- bad, I would leave. Anyway. Anyway. Um, so I did go in for a a follow-up appointment with my midwives. Um, first a week and then a month after the birth. I had one shortly after the birth where I went in. And then I had one like a month after that. And frankly, I I think that maybe they might have asked more questions if it wasn't COVID. Normally, you take the baby in with you and you like are there with the baby and you could even bring your partner with you like it, like you're all together and they can like really ask you more questions and they can really like you know, they they can really go in deep. But, like, the way it was was, like, they they had me in and I wasn't even allowed to bring the baby in. And I'm sure the midwives are bummed about that, too. Because I, I bet that yeah. they love to see the, the, you know, the mothers come in with the kids and, you know, they helped. They helped with all that. Yeah. And I, I mean, they see it all the time, but I'm sure that they were, they're, I'm sure they're bummed about a lot of things yeah. with the whole pandemic. But I'm sure that that is unfortunate 
Yeah. They did not screen me for postpartum depression. And I, but I also don't know. I mean, they asked me, like, they, they did say, like, how are you feeling? And I probably said, fine. I'm a little sore. My boobs hurt. But I'm doing okay. And, like, you know, part of that is just personality. And part of that is, like, the way I was raised. And part of that is, like, New England stamina, which is, like, you just don't talk about it. But, like, I, like, I'm, I, I'm looking at um, the chapter in crib sheet by emily oster where she talks about postpartum depression like there's a section in the the chapter actually is called trust me take the mesh underwear which is about um just like recovery and i looked at the the screener that they that the edinburgh edinburgh postnatal depression scale and it's it talks, it's like um, 10 questions that talk about how, how you're feeling. And if I had answered these honestly, if like I had read these and answered them honestly, I would have scored high enough that they would have been worried about me. And 10 what? to 15% of women who give birth will experience postpartum depression. That's really high. Yeah shockingly high but they you know i did not get screened for postpartum and i don't know if that's like because of covid i don't know if that's because like i didn't seem sad like um, yeah I'd be, I'd, i wonder if like you said i wonder if it's because of covid or maybe it's something that the midwives don't do and not that- everyone does it i don't know if like these midwives might not do it but also it might be that most midwives or most most american places don't do it right yeah i mean in this chapter as well they they talk about how in the united states post child care is just it's not part of the culture to take care of women who have just given birth like in other cultures there are rituals and practices and culture around like if you just gave birth you're not moving like your mom and grandma and aunts and whatever are coming to your house they're living in your house or you're living in their house and they are taking care of you for a month you also just have to look at all you have to do is look at the the way that family leave is handled in different countries compared to ours yeah and also, yeah, like we, I, my parents did come for a little bit to help out with the baby or to help out. Love them. But like my parents came and they, and this is part of like me having postpartum depression. I, I didn't have it in me to ask for anything specific from them i didn't have like the mental capacity to say i need you to do this specifically and i had no mental capacity for any empathy for them and i've said this before on the podcast but just after this my grandfather passed away and 
we were actually really worried about my grandmother passing away at the time. And there was all this family drama happening at the same time. While while your parents were here. While my parents were here. And your mom was trying to deal with it over group texts and phone calls. Yeah, and I mean, she, she made the sacrifice to not be part of that really important stuff for her mother to be with me. And... It made made it so that she was also paying attention to something else at the same time. Like, life continues to happen after you have a baby. Like, it doesn't stop just because you have a baby. And I needed probably, I mean, what I needed was was mental help. Like, I, I needed to talk to a therapist. I just didn't know. When did you actually realize that you had postpartum depression? When it was done. So yeah. I, I remember, and I remember telling you this, yeah. the, we were sitting, we were giving Finn a bath and he was smiling at me and I looked at you and I was like, I didn't realize how sad I was until I wasn't sad anymore. And like, that's and like, it's, it's a big hormonal change. And I think that that's pretty normal. But I hadn't felt happy at all until like then. And that was like, I don't know, six weeks, maybe more. Sounds about right. Like I said, I loved my baby, but I I had not felt actual happiness until then. I also didn't know and couldn't tell. You know, it's probably a little harder for another person to notice it. Unless there are very obvious things happening, but, you know, I wish I had noticed and maybe said something, but with everything going on, it's hard to tell, like, you know, we're, we're figuring out how to take care of this new human. Well, you were also so overwhelmed, like you probably weren't depressed in the same way, but like you were really overwhelmed, like emotionally, physically overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, so it's hard to tell when you're so in it. But yeah, it was it was really tough to realize that that I hadn't felt any joy whatsoever. And I think that the uh, the marker that I that should have been the obvious bit to me is that I was having a hard time singing to the baby. I didn't realize that. Well, I just like I didn't feel like singing at all. And I, I I'm a musician. Um for those of you who don't know, um, I majored in musical theater. I love singing. And I didn't want to sing to the baby. I didn't want to sing at all. I didn't. I like had no desire to make music at all in any way, including like singing a lullaby. Just not interested. And I think that that actually helped me a lot was so like the things that helped me get out of it. I think that number one was just time, like the like I needed to ride that the the hormones out of there. Yeah. Which yeah, cuz some of it you have no control of. No control at all. Um but some like trying not that you can cure depression with anything other than like actual help and drugs. Like you can't. The thing that helped me start to feel more like myself again once I could kind of claw my way out was getting dressed once I could wear clothes that weren't just pajamas 
I started to get dressed every day. Like I started to wear like I was wearing like cute clothes as much as I could every single day. And just like I got new good nursing clothes. That was good. And I, I liked wearing my cute nursing clothes all the time. That was fun. And I also, um, I started to sing. I started to sing to the baby. Like, I actually, I started making TikToks where I sang to the baby. But yeah. I also just would sing to the baby. Like, I actually, like, would just take out my ukulele and sing to the baby. That helped, that, like, once I could start doing that, that helped me claw my way back out. But... Yeah, it took some time. It took a lot of time and makes me sad to think about now. It's hard to know that you didn't realize it, but also you shouldn't feel bad that you had it because like you said, it's it's a hormonal thing. It's very common. I should also say that I there are people who and again there is no shame in having postpartum depression, but some postpartum depression can manifest in such deep anxiety. There's postpartum anxiety as well. And it can manifest in such big, such high levels of anxiety and depression that you feel like you are going to harm yourself or your baby. And in that case, you really need to like you like no matter what you need to get help. But like if you or the baby are in danger you need to get help like yes. there and hopefully and like uh, but like part part of me is just like i don't even know what to say because i i was not i was not never in danger of hurting myself or the baby but you didn't notice that i was sad and it's not your fault that you didn't notice that i was sad like you that i was depressed but like if you didn't notice that I was depressed, I was hiding it really well. I, if if you can hide it that well, if other people are as good at hiding it as I was, then I don't know how I, you I I I think that that like you need like there should be a, a legally mandated screening for postpartum dep- depression after you give birth. Like there just has to be. Just to check. I mean, if it's if it is that common, it's better for everyone involved. There isn't any shame. It's literally your body has just done something so ridiculous and so, so insane that like, of course, your hormones are just going off the charts and just going so high and then so low. Just like, of course, of course, like things are happening in your brain. And especially if you're having like if you're also in a huge amount of pain, which I was. It took like six to eight weeks to get out of the, to, to feel like myself again. And I I say like myself again, my body is still not quote back to normal end quote. It never will be exactly how it was before. Anyone who thinks that your body should go back to quote normal end quote with any kind of timeline needs to take a chill pill. So what was the most surprising or unexpected part of recovery for you? Mm, most surprising. Like the the thing that you wish people would tell 
expecting mothers or talk about more to prepare everyone for. I just think that the whole recovery process isn't talked enough about at all. I think that nobody talks about like people are like, oh, it's you'll you're tired. I hope you uh you know get your sleep in now. But I also, you know, I don't remember everything about the postpartum process even now. And that was only like postpartum was only four and a half months ago from here. So like we don't talk about it because people don't remember it very well because they're exhausted and they are going through trauma. And there's also so much else going on. You're learning how to take care of a baby. You're, you know, the, the yeah. baby is growing. You're seeing all these milestones. You're, you know, distracted by so much. I think that the, I think that the thing that was the most surprising is how long everything took. Like I knew that I knew that I was going to be bleeding for some time. I thought it was going to be like a week, not six. Not four. I don't even remember how many weeks it was. It was forever. Never stopped. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, so I wish that, and, and the, the postpartum depression didn't stop until like six weeks. And my I wasn't able to put on clothes until six or eight weeks. Like my real, real clothes, but like clothes that weren't just stretchy pants. And... Yeah, it's just everything takes way longer than you think it's going to. And I think that's that's the thing that is the most surprising is that and that we need to talk about more is that it's it's not like a one week, two week thing. Even if you have a natural childbirth and and again, Emily Oster talks about this in the book, but she's like, when people ask you, how are you doing? After you have a baby, they want to hear, oh, I'm doing great. I love the baby. It's all joy. Thank you. I'm tired. They don't want to hear, I'm exhausted. I cry every 10 minutes and I'm recovering from vaginal tearing. Like nobody wants to hear any of that. No one wants to hear like the actual like what's going on. But it's kind of like, you know how people are real delicate with people after someone dies? I think that people should be really delicate with people after they have a baby. Like, they shouldn't be expected to be glowing. They shouldn't be expected to, like, be so happy. It's a huge emotional, physical ordeal. Not to mention the emotions. And your emotions and your body are the same. Because I hate to break it to everyone. Your brain is made of meat and your body has feelings. So it's true. <laughs> like you're, you're yeah. like being in pain and like your, your, your body can totally affect your emotions and your brain is, is made of meat. So like it is, you know, that your brain is your body. Yeah. And so like emotions and phys the, the, the fact that birth is such a physical process and also a very hormonal chemical process as well is just people when 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 someone asks a, a, a postpartum person how they're doing it should be the norm to say not great you know like that yeah. shouldn't be that shouldn't be at all taboo it should be expected it should be like 
How are you doing now that someone has passed away in your family? How are you doing, you know, after this major surgery? It shouldn't, you shouldn't have to put a positive spin on it just because, like, you know, it is, it's wonderful to have a baby in a lot of ways. It's also just like a huge deal. Yes. Physically, mentally, emotionally, it takes a toll on all of that. There are extreme highs and there are also extreme lows and it's okay. And we should be asking about the extreme lows just as much as we are asking about the extreme highs. And talking about them. Yes. What was your um, most surprising thing about recovery? You asked me. Well, I asked you because you were the one recovering. Yeah, Um, but you were here. You were taking care of somebody. And I don't know if you were necessarily prepared for that. um, I think... You're right. I don't think that I was prepared for how long I would need to uh, help you specifically with so many things. I don't think I thought about that beforehand. And it's very lucky, you know, taking everything into consideration, it's very lucky that neither of us were working at the time because of COVID. Well, I was not working because I was on maternity leave. Yes. Sorry. Well, I was not working because of COVID. You were on maternity leave because we originally thought that I would take off like the first two weeks and then take my paternity leave later on. Um, But the reality would have been much different had we had to figure that out. Though once I found out that I was probably going to have a C-section, I remember my midwives were like, he needs to take off three weeks. Even that wouldn't have been enough time, though. That was like, that would be the bare minimum. Yeah. So that was probably the most surprising thing for me. Also, just to complain a little bit about about my experience. Sure. My body was so sore after everything. And I don't know why. Like after? Like, well, after like. Be getting not, out of the hospital? Yeah, not sleeping enough, not sleeping well. And then like, you know, carrying the baby and you like holding the baby and, and rocking the baby like took its toll on my body and i wasn't expecting that cassie josh it's that time of the show where we toast to hopes for the future people out there in the world etc etc do you have a toast this week i do what if i was just like nah that'd be fine no um i want to give a toast to anyone dealing with postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety and especially those who are suffering in silence without knowing anything about what's going on. It's real and it will pass. You're going through it and you it's it's the only time, not the only time, but it's it's a time where you are having a huge emotional upheaval and needing to be strong and like really present for another human because that that that's 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 really hard so anyone who's going through that right now or went through it and didn't have didn't have the support to get through it cheers cheers not really cheers but like to them what's your toast josh we talked about a lot of uh heavy stuff this episode Mm -hmm. but i want to zero in on what you said about what made you realize that you had postpartum depression 
and it was Finn smiling at you. So I want to toast to all the baby smiles (laughs) out there bringing people joy. To the baby smiles. Cheers. And that is it for this week's episode. Once again, thank you for joining us here at No Whiskey for Baby. Please feel free to follow us and interact with us on our social medias, No Whiskey for Baby, across platforms. You can email us at nowhiskeybaby at gmail.com. Let us know if you have any questions about what we've talked about in any of the episodes. If there's something you want us to talk about in the future, just let us know. We'd love to hear from you. See you in two weeks. Bye. Bye.